a friend of mine, Nancy Adams, is here today, and Nancy is going to share a little bit of her testimony as a, of working in uh, health evangelism as a uh, massage therapist. She's, um, well, she'll tell you that story. And then she wants to just show you real quickly how to do a, uh, a, a simple massage. Now, because of the spirit of actual ethics, we don't want necessarily everybody rubbing on everybody else uh, here. But uh, maybe what we could do is if you want to participate in this, sit next to someone it would be appropriate for you to rub their back. Okay? And that may be, you might be sitting next to your wife or your shoulders, your shoulders, just the shoulders, okay? And I'll let you be up to that in terms of your ethical standards. And uh, we will be videotaping this and sending pictures to your parents. So, uh, so we'll, we'll let uh, Nancy kind of take over here and she's gonna take just a few moments to share her testimony of a frontline medical missionary worker. And then I'm gonna come back, kind of finish our little uh, section on the book of Daniel. Then we're gonna have a powerful, uh, last section also dealing with addictions. Good afternoon. I'm really happy to be here. I hope you are all too. And I just, I learned massage in uh, Hawaii in 1973 by a native Hawaiian lady named Margaret Machado, who was an Adventist. And um, I'm going to tell you that story, but one of the things that she taught me is massage is a praying work. She would say that over and over again, massage is a praying work. And she taught me a prayer, and I'm going to pray it right now. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the many blessings that you give us. I pray that you will empty me of self right now and use me as an instrument in thy hand to speak thy word and to bless these souls gathered together. Thank you for hearing our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what she taught me. Every time, I, every time I do massage, empty me of self and use me as an instrument thy hand. It's a great prayer. And you know what? The Lord has almost always answered it. If I was sincerely pray that, he answers it. And what's the greatest joy? The greatest joy in the world is to be used of God. There is nothing that can get, turn you on as much as knowing that you've been used by God. And I have to tell you, um, I wasn't raised an Adventist. My, my mother was Jewish by birth. My father was raised a Catholic. Um, and you know, I, there wasn't religion in the home, but I'm very thankful because you know God works in every home, no matter how bad it is. In fact, the worse it is, the more the child feels their need of God. And I did. I felt my need of God, and I, and I thank the Lord that my mother was open enough that she took me to a Sunday school in Cradle World, and I learned about the love of God in a, in a very young age. And my, my home was very chaotic. I couldn't see really God working there, but I knew that there was a God who loved me. And you know, that's the most important thing that we can get across to another person, right? And that we, can get, that we, need, to get a, that we need to let God get across to us, that we are loved. And, um, but when I became, when I was a 14 years old, I came home from school one day and my father, I found my father, he had committed suicide in the car um, in the, with carbon monoxide poisoning. And I was, I had prayed, I prayed, Lord, please save my father. Don't let him die. And he died two hours later. And I, 14 is that age where you're really making decisions. And I decided, 
I hated God. I was so angry and I and there was a lot of anger all the time in my home anyway so this anger really came out and I went away from God I got into drugs and every kind of thing I was I lived in Oakland California and Berkeley was right next door and I went from Oakland to Berkeley and got into the whole hippie scene in the six, late 60s early 70s but you know the Lord had his hand on my life oh by the way I forgot to tell you that uh, my parents were both from Brooklyn New York and they moved to California and bought a house two doors down from a huge Seventh-day Adventist church, East Oakland Seventh-day Adventist church, where I went to vacation Bible school and gave my heart to the Lord for the first time when I was nine years old. But I had no support in my family. And, and you know, I want you to know, if you're coming from the outside, Adventists can be a very close society. And um, so I, I didn't become an Adventist at nine years old, but the seeds, never, never worry if people don't come right away because you plant the seeds and the Lord waters and he knows the time when he'll call them. So anyway, um, I went into this whole angry phase and got into feminism and, and uh, anti-war and all that. And, uh, but the Lord began to work in my life when I was about 24 years old. And my sister, had just gotten breast cancer and had a terrible surgery and I found a tumor in my breast a couple of months later and I found out that my grandmother had died of breast cancer at the age of 40 and so I was really scared and I went to a doctor he said you have to take a biopsy so but my friends I had all these hippie vegetarian friends which I didn't think anything was food unless it had meat in it and so I was always get away from me with that but they convinced me to go to herbalist and this herbalist said to me, you have to get rid of all that anger and resentment and just drink carrot juice. And I started to cry because I thought, the two, for, the, first of all, I, my, my whole motivation for life was anger and resentment, uh, you know, anti this and anti that. And, this, and the second thing was I just, just didn't think I could give up a junk food diet, you know. And so I went home from there and I tried to decide, make this decision whether I was going to go with the doctor, whether I was going to listen to this crazy herbalist lady. And I, for the first time, I consciously knelt down and prayed. And I said, dear God, if you're still up there, please tell me what to do. And he was up there. <laughs> and he said, he didn't talk to me, but, he, but the thought came to me really strongly. You always pray in Jesus' name. And I didn't want to pray in Jesus' name because I was a women's liberationist and I didn't want to mail God and all that. And, but it was so strong that I said, oh, all right, in Jesus' name. And I got up from there. I opened, I went to the refrigerator because I was starving. I hadn't been eating, been smoking cigarettes. And, and I opened the refrigerator and there was absolutely nothing to eat but a pint of carrot juice. And I did not know how it got there. Later I found a friend had brought it over and put it in the refrigerator, but it was to me like, wow. I mean, I, I, get, I get goosebumps even now thinking about it. So I started on a 30-day carrot juice fast. I lost 52 pounds, quit smoking, drinking, and drugs, and got rid of the tumor in my breast. I also used comfrey poultices. That was the prescription of the herbalist. And, um, you know, my sister died a year later, and I went on to find God and I, I knew at that point in my life there was a God and I was going to find him but I could not believe he was in Christianity I could not believe that's where God was because I just did not see any power 
in Christianity. And, and I was in deep sin. And I knew that I had to have a God that was really powerful to get me out of it. Anyway, the Lord, the, my friends all convinced me to go to Hawaii to, because uh, I had to eat natural food and I had to live naturally and they just sent me to Hawaii. I bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii. I had $75 in my pocket. And I went to go live with some, some hippie friends on a banana farm. And I started to get really sick. This time I got a staph infection. All the mosquitoes were biting me like crazy. And this got infected and I got this huge tumor that stayed on the side of my neck, like the size of a half a grapefruit. And I started praying again. And the Lord brought a medical missionary, a man named John Sahari, who taught the eight laws of health to the hippies. And he had, a, he had a paper, on one side it had the Ten Commandments, and the other side it had the eight laws of health. And in the middle was a cross, and it said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, this is the moral law, and he pointed to the Ten Commandments. He says, well, we're not going to talk about that today, and we all went, Shh, good. But under thou shalt not kill comes these eight laws of health. And if you break these, you're killing yourself. And then he went through them and described and explained them. And it just really, it's, he said, you take these eight laws of health anywhere in the world and you can help sick people get well. And it just sparked me. I just, wow, I want to do that. I want, and then I looked at myself and I said, I wonder if I could get well. You know, it was just, he, it's just so simple. He wasn't a real educated man. He just taught the simple truths. And many, many kids were got off of drugs, put on more clothes, changed their lives because of this man. He's now 90 years old. He lives in Kentucky, 45 minutes from where I used to live. So I, when I tell my testimony there, I could say, you know, you can go see him. Because he was, he was just a simple, very simple man. And... Uh, I went, started going with him everywhere, but oh, let me tell, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I don't have too much time, so let me get to the part where I learned massage. So he took me to a Hawaiian lady, and uh, she was a massage therapist. She, had been, she was an orphan, and she, but she uh, had been raised Methodist, and she had a gift. She had an amazing gift. Her name was, uh, in Hawaiian, was Kalihua Makano Ululu Onopali, which means the refreshing mist that passes over the mountain, leaving everything green. And that's how you felt when she touched you, when she massaged you. And she always prayed, and she was like the mother that I had always wanted. You know, if you have desires, remember that God has someone or something that was going to fulfill that desire in your heart, even if you don't know when, but he will bring it into your life when you need it the most. And it's, um, I'm just so, th I just, she, this lady just, she sat me on this table and she said, now I don't know you and you don't know me, but the Lord knows both of us. And if it's his will, he will heal you. And she put me on the table. She put her hands on me. And she prayed a beautiful prayer. And I just, just the floodgates of my soul were open. And I knew that God was going to heal me. And he did. Two months later, I mean, two, two days later, this, this, uh, this lump that was the size of half a grapefruit went down to the size of an egg. And I could turn my head for the first time in a month. In seven days, it was completely gone. And then we did a lot of cleansing stuff. And, and I... Was, I was not able to do that without any surgery, which was amazing. It never came out, you know. And then she started teaching me herbs and massage. And I became like a, 
I, I, I'm not telling you the whole story because I don't have time, but, but anyway, this, this woman discipled me, and uh, through her I was given, I was healed, I was, uh, I, was given, I was given salvation, and I was given my life work. And I am so grateful. And I want to, I want to, how, 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 how am I on time right now? So I got Ten more minutes? Okay, I better quit then. I just want to tell you, if, you, if there's something you don't like about yourself, you pray about it. Because I, would, I had these short, pudgy fingers. And my, when I used to try to put a ring on, my sister would say, looks like a sausage with a ring on it. And so it was really easy for me to give up jewelry. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I always didn't like my hands. And I looked at, she looked at my hands and she said, you have good hands for massage. And her hands were shorter and stubbier than mine. But boy, when she put them on you, you just, you felt the presence of heaven. And that's a wonderful experience. You know, what, what people need, a benevolent touch, we call it healing touch, therapeutic touch, but it's a touch where you are aiming to benefit them. It's not, there's nothing in it for you particularly except for the joy that you give to someone else. And so that healing touch is something that, that the, the world needs and, and longs for. And I wish I could talk more, but let's, who, who would be interested in giving a learning how to give a shoulder massage? If you're interested in learning how to give a shoulder massage, stand up. Praise the Lord, look at all these givers. <laughs> how, how many of you are willing to get a, get a massage? Raise your hand. <laughs> all right, if, you, if you're willing to get a massage, sit down. <laughs> oh, this isn't going to work, is it? I, what I need you to do is get in pairs, and, and one person, the person that's going to get the massage, sit in the front seat. And the person that's this, this, the person that's giving them massage stand behind them. And would you like me to demonstrate on you? I have to pull this up. I don't have enough lumps. <laughs> Okay, you're gonna let me work on you? Okay. Stand up if you're massaging. Okay. Alright, the first thing I want you to do is shake out your hands. Relax your, your everybody just shake your hands out. Shake them out. Take a deep breath. Another breath. Now your hands should be relaxed, and they place, you place a firm but gentle, firm but gentle is the key to Hawaiian Lomi Lomi, which is the type of massage that I do. And then, you know, if, you, if it's appropriate, say a prayer with, say, may I, may I pray with you? Oops. You want to hold this for me? <laughs> and if, it's, if, you, if you feel that there, there wouldn't be, it's not an appropriate place or the person, just pray silently. So I'm going to have you all pray silently for the person that you're going to massage. Amen. Okay, we're going to start out. Here's not, first, I'm going to tell you what not to do. You ever see gentlemen, husbands usually running up to their wife, they see she's tense, and they grab her neck and they go like that. Have you ever seen them do that? Never, never, never start a massage that way. 
you have a trapezius muscle that comes, starts up here toward the back of the neck and comes down and it goes all the way about halfway down your back. That's, that's the muscle that turns your neck. Have you ever had a, a, a sore neck and when you turned your head it hurt, it hurt down here? That's the trapezius muscle. So you don't start on the neck, you start on opening up the trapezius muscle so the blood starts flowing up to the neck. Now you can, this is called the 10 minute tune up. And um, the class that I do is call, actually called Need a Friend, K-N-E-A-D. So you're gonna start um, with pressing in with your two thumbs right next to the spine. You know where the seventh cervical is? The biggest, that big bone that sticks up. Some, some people it sticks up more than others. You want your fingers right beside that. And you're going to press in until you feel the muscle kind of resisting you. You, see, you know what I mean? Hold that pressure and then you're gonna rotate. Don't, don't, don't let up, just one, two, three, release, okay? Go down to next, next to thumb length. Press in, hold the pressure, rotate. One, two, three, release, and move down. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release, move down. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. And I, I go down until my fingers cannot stay, stay up on the shoulders any longer. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. Now we got three things going here. Proper pressure in the proper area. Heavy, around the thick muscles by the spine, heavy pressure, most people like heavy pressure, unless it hurts, and you've got to check with them too. But most people can take pretty heavy pressure around there. You get toward the bones and the small muscles, then you lighten up. Okay, so there's pressure, proper pressure in the proper place. Then there's rhythm. Everything, your heart's a rhythm, your lungs are rhythm, and so you've, you've got to get a rhythm to it. And that's why I'm counting with you. Let's do it again. We'll start up at the seventh cervical. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. We're gonna go faster. Pressure, when I say pressure, you move down, okay? Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. You can put that out. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. Pressure, rotate, rotate, release. Okay, now the third principle is feeling for muscle tone. How do you know it's tight? Well, the easiest way to start with is to compare one side to the other. So you're gonna walk your thumbs down each side of the, of the spine and feel if you can find a tight place. Now, you can do that by comparing, and you can talk to them too, like I, right there is a little, little tight. Does that feel sore? Yeah. yeah? Okay. Okay, now we're gonna, when, we, when you find a sore place, we call this a trigger point. And we're gonna stretch the muscle. You just, to just take your thumb, push in again like you did before, hold the pressure, and then stretch it across toward the shoulder, depending on well, where it is. And just go, then go a little bit below it. Press into it and then stretch it across. You got one good one there, don't you? <laughs> okay, if you, just keep doing it until you feel that her, this whole muscle is tight on her right here. And most people, that's where they have their tension. And so then, then go up above it and stretch. Now you want to soothe, a lighter touch. This is just called, this, this is just kneading, just a nice light kneading. And we always like to say it's nice to be kneaded. And after you've done a heavy, after you've done a heavy treatment or a deeper pressure, then you, you lighten it up. 
particularly with Americans. Americans do not like pain. If you go to Hawaii, if you work with the Japanese, if you don't hurt them, you're no good as a massage therapist. But Americans don't like pain, and so when I do trigger points with Americans, I have them breathe, and you want, let's try that. Find your spot again that's, that's tight. You put one thumb on top of the other, and both you and your patient take a deep breath. Now exhale, both of you exhale slowly through your mouth, and you're pressing into that muscle, leaning your body weight, and holding the pressure. One, two, three, and release. Normally you're having them breathe out at the same time that you're doing that. So what is that doing? What does the breathing do? It does, it, it does distract you from it if, if it hurts. It, it also makes them relax so they don't tense up against you. You don't want them tensing up against you. If they start moving away from you and going, ah, that's too hard. <laughs> it should, I always say it should be a good pain. It should be a pain that feels that you, it, hurt, it hurts good, you know. And then the breathing also oxygenates the blood, which helps open up these areas. Now what we're doing is we're pressing out the waste. When, you're, when your muscle tenses up, you get waste products that build up in the area, calcium and so forth. And you're pressing that out. And then when you release quickly, the blood comes flowing back in and you're helping to wash away that, that, um, that debris. So that makes you feel, and, and you can, I've, I've done people for like five minutes in laundromats, at anywhere, you can just do it anywhere. And if you see somebody rubbing your neck, you know, would you like me to work on your shoulders? And it's just amazing the contacts that you can have. I mean, not everybody's, in, not everybody is willing to do it, but there's a lot of people that are. And it's just so much fun to go around trying to do good like Jesus did. So, um, to, <laughs> then the idea also, so your hands don't, if you just use your thumb strength, you're going to wear out very quickly. And so this is why we, we want you to learn to press in, lean your body weight, hold the pressure, and then just rotate with your thumbs. Now when you get really tired, when your hands are tired, you can use other body parts like this part of your arm. So you want to you have, have your knees bent and just kind of rock them back and forth. Now remember, you lighten up around when you get on the bones. And some people are very bony, and so you have to lighten. You can't do real heavy when they're. And if your arms are really bony, you can't do real heavy. <laughs> I had an argument with a guy yesterday. I told him there were some benefits to being fat. But <laughs> I miss, doing massage is one of them. But I know they don't outweigh the bad things. And I'm working on it. Okay, so, and then I, I would, I also use my elbows, but I, I think we should, I should probably quit, right? Yeah. Well, come and see us at Weimar, and we'll complete this course. <laughs> and I'm very happy. Thank you very much for participating. Well, uh, I want to just thank Nancy for stepping in here and uh, teaching us a little bit about massage. Um, well, let me see if my computer is here. Okay, great. How many of you have not been here to the seminar yet? Okay, welcome. You're totally confused. <laughs> let me tell you what we've been talking about. Not that you look confused, I just know that you are. Um,
we've been uh, we've been talking about leading people from health to him, and that's what I talked about the first hour. Um, I talked about nine characteristics of doing successful health evangelism. Then in the second hour, I talked about a key bridge study that once you do a successful evangelistic uh, or a successful health seminar, people naturally will ask the question, what's the connection between this and your church? Or like after Nancy rubbed Marjana's neck and shoulders, she's going, where can I get in touch with that lady again? Right? So that's the same thing that happens in a, in a successful, uh, you know, massage or a successful health seminar. And you've rubbed people the right way, so to speak, right? Um, so after you show that study that we went through in our last hour, and if you weren't here, how many think it's worth them hearing that study? Okay? If you go through that, once you go through that, then, you know, you come to the next, uh, the next step in the process. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, Dr. Nedley's going to be with us. How many of you want to be smarter? All right. Um, so he's going to be talking about mental peak performance strategies and, um, and then all those different things tomorrow. So the health study then leads to the what's the connection study. Then that leads next to looking at the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 is the oldest scientific study. And we talked a little bit about the different parts of Daniel. Um, you know, in your, in your health seminar, you document uh, really God's word because science is but a documentation of something God's already been doing. Uh, I love it when scientists say, oh, they discovered something new. But then you read the thing and it says, we just discovered what's already happening. You know, they make it seem like they discovered it. They might have documented it. How many of you understand what I mean? But it's been happening. Um, then that Exodus study that just shows that God already knew that. And then Daniel chapter 1, that's the oldest scientific study known to mankind. I love going to that study because uh, it then shows how to give your heart to the Lord. Um, and here's the concept, because I'm not going to be able to go through the whole thing. I thought that you might want to have your back rubbed a little more than your head mentally. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But let me just say this. When, in Daniel chapter 1, the real essence of chapter 1 is two basic powers struggling over an individual. There's the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and there's the king of kings, God. And one of them is going to win, either the king or the king. And they're both trying to get the heart of the individual, right? And they, did you notice what Nancy was saying? Now she's rubbing someone else's back back there. Uh, you notice what Nancy was saying? She was saying, you know, uh, who, who would like to get a massage or give a massage? Uh, well, you know, sometimes she said, you're giving this massage just with the purpose of helping someone, not for yourself. Did you know that was a very key concept? This is the idea of giving, not to get, but just to give as Christ would give or God would give, right? And in Daniel chapter 1, there's that, that, that whole thing going on. There's, there's the king who's giving things to the three Hebrews. And there's the king of kings who's giving things to the Hebrews. One is giving to get, that is to steal the hearts of people. And one is giving to keep. In other words, so that they can keep their relationship with him and with others. And so the issue in Daniel chapter 1 
is really the heart. Now, any health seminar that you go to, what you end up doing is if the people win your confidence, you let them do more and more things, like my brother who was rubbing my back, you know? I got some more confidence as he went on that he was not going to break my back. So I, I gave him more and more confidence. In any health seminar, this happens where people start opening up, they tell you things, they open up their lives to you, they do all kinds of things because they start to have more and more confidence in you. And then as they follow the principles, the reason they have confidence is because those principles that, they, that you've shared, they actually work. And they say, oh, wait a minute, my blood pressure went down, my cholesterol went down, my blood sugar went down, and my, my feeling of health is going up. And, and this is what's happening, you see. Um, now, that same concept I share with them in this study. I say, look, you gave yourself to this program physically. You stepped out in faith. And then God responded by giving you what? Grace. You stepped out in faith. And then God gave you grace. You stepped out in faith, and then God gave you more grace. Faith, grace. Faith, grace. That's what happens in Daniel chapter 1. And there's physiological aspects to it, and there's, you know, it's a very spiritual thing. Just because of time, I want to show you some of those things without going through the entire presentation, which uh, I would love to do, but... Let me just go to Daniel 1 now, and we'll look at it. I'll just, I'll just look here at a little bit of the chapter with you. Um, um, by the way, Daniel chapter 1, how old was Daniel when he was taken captive? He was 15 years old. And then he served in the king's court till he was 18. How old was Belteshazzar? when the kingdom fell. He was 15 years old. Daniel 1 and Daniel 5 are like bookends. It's the tale of two teenagers. It's the tale of two young people. And one gave their heart to God, and one gave their heart to the other power. And everywhere one did something that was right, the other did something that was wrong. It's the most powerful book to use as a young person as you're reaching out to someone else. So in Daniel chapter 1, it's really, I think it's a key, key verse. It doesn't look like a key verse, but let me just read it to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. How many think that's just a wonderful health text? It is once you understand it. Because who, what was the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim? And who was the king? It says Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. You know, if you go back, you can start to trace back. How old was Daniel when he came to Babylon? 15. And you trace back 15 years. And guess who the king was at that time? Josiah. Josiah became king when he was how old? Eight. And when he was 16, he had a revival at a GYC conference. <laughs> And then when he was 27, he was full, that, that's when Daniel was born, 27 years old. And then he died when he was 39, when Daniel was 12. And so when he was born, Josiah was king. And when he died, Josiah died, Daniel was 12. The first 12 years. You know what Josiah did? He discovered when he was 27 the book of the law. 
and he began to teach health evangelism along with everything else. And that led to a revival in the kingdom. And it led to a revival in Daniel's life and all three friends' life. They gave their hearts to God because they'd seen their pastor. They'd seen the king. They'd seen him involved in this. And so when they got to Daniel's time, when they, when they got to Babylon, they didn't just go for anything because they'd already purposed, purposed, purposed for this, what's the name of our conference? For this purpose, they had already purposed in their hearts to follow God. Can you see that? And so they knew how to step out in faith, not because it was self-originated, because they already saw that God was so good. You get the idea? So Daniel 1 then is really all about giving your heart to God. Isn't that powerful? It really is. So here's how we know how old he was. The Upward Look, page 83. He was about 15 or 16 years old. He was a child when he was carried uh, to, to Babylon. Why did this happen? The youth... I love this statement. The youth have many difficult lessons to learn before they're prepared for usefulness. <laughs> Don't you love that statement? In order to be fitted to fulfill positions of trust, they must submit to the stern teaching of rebuff and disappointment. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Days of suffering are necessary to teach wisdom. How many of you like that? Youth Instructor, June 5, 1902. You know, I have found that to be true in my life. That it's really when there's times of pain and disappointment that I learn. This is a summary of, of, of being a call porter, isn't it? Days of suffering. <laughs> Amen? I see. And, and, and when you come to our school at, at Amazing Facts College of Evangelism, I just said, I just, oh, man. <laughs> We're going to suffer together. <laughs> and as you go through that, as you go through that time period together, as you, as you knock on doors and doors knock on you, <laughs> There's something about it. And in the book of Daniel, every single chapter begins with a disappointment. And then it leads to an appointment. So this is why, you know, God saw that. And, and his king, his uh, boy king that had met the Lord prepared him for that. But, you know, even though God lets us go through pain and suffering, and you might have thought, man, he really likes that quote a little bit too much. <laughs> I like this one, too. Not a sigh is breathed, not a pain felt, not a grief pierces the soul, but the throb vibrates to the Father's heart. How many think that's a wonderful thing, too? So he sees what we need, and he allows us to learn it. So, in the, you know, when I study Daniel chapter 1, I start to bring out this idea of, of how to give your heart to God. And I show them physiologically, you know, what happens. In Daniel chapter 1, there's a key word that's used again and again and again. Guess what it is? Gave. And you know that word uh, when it talks about uh, Daniel purposed in his heart? Oh, by the way, they gave different things. The king gave education. He gave... Uh, um, you know, does it matter who really educates you? Does it matter who you watch or listen to? Is it troubling to you that maybe you're even here <laughs> with me? 
right? Uh, hopefully not. Because, you know, education is so powerful. They did a study of beer neurons, and uh, they had this little baboon. And I don't know if that's a baboon, but I found him on the internet. And he was watching, he was watching, uh, they were watching this baboon and different things that happened in his brain. And, um, you know, what would happen there in the brain as, uh, as they did different things. And different parts of the brain would fire. And mere neurons fire not only as we perform a certain action, but also when we watch someone else performing it. Right? So you just watch it and the same mirror neurons are kind of going <laughs> And sounds. Mirror neurons don't just fire when an animal is watching someone else perform an answer. Mirror neurons also fire if they hear the sound. So be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear, right? And then when people listen to sentences describing actions the same mirror neurons fired as would have if the subject had performed the actions themselves. So this is why we say you can't just watch anything on TV to our kids. You can't just listen to anything. You can't even just read anything because of what it does in your brain. See that? And they, they took a picture of this and you can't really see it. But there's a red section here that fired when they actually did the action. Inside is when you thought about it or when you saw it or when you heard it, same area of the brain was firing. So the king gave them education. He gave them names. Does it matter what people call you? Does it matter what you call yourself? You know, how many have heard of the story about the Nova? It's a great name for a car, except for in Mexico, where it means no go. <laughs> Sales really fell. <laughs> Nova. Or what about, I just was recently in New Zealand. They called the airlines their Kiwi Airlines. How, how many Kiwis have you ever seen that fly? <laughs> In other words, the, 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 the airline really never got off the ground. It never had a chance to change the name. So, and he gave them food and he gave them drink. You see, this king was trying to, to, to steal their hearts through education, through, through renaming them, and through, uh, you know, the food that he gave him. Here's an actual picture of the three Hebrews. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, it's amazing what we're discovering with archaeology. So, but, but today, you know, have things really changed that much? You go down the street and you go past a restaurant and they say, we want you to be a Burger King. <laughs> and for the ladies, a Dairy Queen. <laughs> we want you to have not just margarine, but imperial margarine. You're <laughs> king-sized. <laughs> So, just like the king was trying to steal their hearts, so in this culture today, people try and steal our hearts. And many times people's hearts are stolen in physical ways, even sometimes before they are in spiritual ways or vice versa. You understand what I'm saying? So when we do health evangelism, it's a very, it's a very spiritual thing. And really the essence, because I want, I want to, um, you know, give some time here at the end, so make sure and help me out. Really the essence of Daniel chapter 1 is this, is this struggle for the heart. Who is giving this to me and why is a great question to ask, isn't it? You know, well, why is, why is that young man giving that certain drink to that young lady? Why, what's motivating, Right? Who is giving this to me? So Daniel then does something. It says in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, he 
purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, right? For this purpose, right? He purposed. Now that word purposed is the same word that's used in chapter 1 verse 7 when it says the king gave them names. Same Hebrew word. Did you know that? So in other words, Daniel not only doesn't just mean he purposed in his heart, he gave his heart. He had given his heart to God. This is the essence of helping people really be successful in health evangelism. Why was it, remember my last time together, why was it that a God of brevity has us preach longevity? Why is it that a God who lived only 33 years talks about, wants us to talk about living 133 years? It is because he learned that lesson too. And he came to Gethsemane and in front of the universe said, not my will in humanity, but thy will, the divine nature, be done. This is the same lesson that Daniel learned. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done because he had given his heart to God. The key for anybody having success with health evangelism or with the changes that you're talking about is giving the heart to God. And how many of you have noticed that you have to give it again and again and again and again? Giving the heart to God. So the question then in, in, in Daniel chapter 1 that I ask people in the middle of that, that study, which man, I wish I'd give you the whole thing, but I can't, is, uh, are you kind of nervous that you're sitting up here? All right. <laughs> See, she never sat up front at AFCO when she came. Everybody moved back. So we moved the wall in. Anyway, no. The key here really in chapter, chapter 1 is how do you give your heart to God? How do you give your heart to somebody? Usually at this time, you know, it says, uh, they say all kinds of bizarre things like, well, let me hear what you say. How do you give your heart to somebody? Trusting them. Trusting them. Now, that's not bizarre. That's very good. Spend time, Spend time with them. Knowing. Knowing them. Stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith. Yeah, I kind of gave you guys the answer. Surrender. Very practical things. What did Daniel, what did the king do? He says, I'll give you something to eat. I'll do this. You give heart just through just simple things. And in Daniel chapter 1, that's really the issue. Daniel, he says, I have a relationship with God that fills me with faith. The faith of Jesus. The faith of God. Right? I had so much faith in him that even though he was offered all those things, even as a teenager, as a young person, he said, no, 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 <laughs> I'd rather not do that. And he stepped out in faith, knowing he could have been killed. You know, the monarchs over there in Iraq, you know, um, in, in the Middle East and everywhere, many times, they were the types of people that if you said no to their little meal, you became a meal. Of the lions, right? So he literally stepped out in faith. And then what happened? God brought him, who did he bring into his hand? He brought someone, the chief of the eunuchs, who was very unique. And he came and he said, look, I'll help you out. And uh, brought him into favor. And then the eunuch said, I'm going to do this with you. 
In other words, when you step out in faith, other people start to step out in faith too. And when they both stepped out in faith, what happened? The unit kind of freaked out. And this is where the first scientific study came in. He says, all right, I know you're freaking out, but I can't lose you now. You're my only friend. Why don't we just do a test? 10 days, right? And we'll step out in faith together. And so he said no to everything that was offered. Now, I thought this was interesting when he said no to those different foods. Let me just show you what happens when you say no to the very things that Daniel said no to. Um, he said no to the king's wine and to the king's meat. He said no to the king's food because he knows, even though he knew that this would lead to death, which is very depressing. When he said no to alcohol, he was really saying no to depression. You see, when you drink, your serotonin level goes up, but then it rapidly falls, leaving you hanging. Remember that last slide I showed you the last time? Tryptophan, hydroxytryptophan, serotonin, and then melatonin. This messes that all up. It depletes vitamin B6. We have to give B6 or B shots to people that come in to the hospital that have been alcoholics. And folate levels. Tryptophan metabolism is altered. Adrenaline is released, increasing stress. Everything initially in decreases, but then increases in terms of anxiety. How many of you are thankful that you don't drink? How many of you are, and this is, what, this is what Daniel didn't know. He just was following by faith what God had said. And uh, by the way, um, decreased frontal lobe glucose utilization also occurs when people drink alcohol. In other words, they get a little stupid. How many of you have noticed this? Which, what's the number one cause of death among teenagers? preventable accidents many times related to driving under the influence of alcohol or your cell phone. <laughs> driving under the influence of a cell phone. He said no to the king's meat. A a a elevated arachidonic acid in the brain has been shown to cause depression. And so when he was saying no to the meat, he said no to those things. Look, the whole chapter is chucked full of those kind of things. And now the New England Journal of Medicine, like I said, January 2003, says this is the oldest scientific study. If you want to study the oldest scientific study with someone, study Daniel 1. But the real issue in that study is what? Not this is the science of science, but the science of salvation. The, the way we're going to be successful long term in health evangelism is only if people give their hearts to God, not just physically in your program, lowering their cholesterol, but also what? Spiritually. And it's been a wonderful privilege to see people that come through these studies that I'm sharing with you give their hearts to God. I talked to Gary Frazier the other day. The Adventist Health Study is underway. Adventist Health Study 1, how many of you have read the results of that ever? It just shows that Adventists live much longer, but it's interesting, in Adventist Health Study 2, they're doing a subset with, I think it's about 11,000 cohorts in the study, and they're asking about spiritual motivations. You know what I think is going to happen? They're going to discover that the people that responded to an appeal like Chelsea Jordan gave at the plenary do much better physically. How many think that's probably going to be true? And they're wanting to, we already know that, but they're wanting to document that scientifically. How many of you think, I think that's going to be good? 
So the point is, what I've learned over the years is that health evangelism can really be damaging to people unless you lead them to the Lord. Because they can clean out their house for one day, but then seven demons will come in worse, like the Bible says. Unless the Lord dwells in that house, and unless what they've given up is replaced with something better, you're not doing them any service. So, again then, the health seminar, scientifically excellent, all those different eight, nine S's that I gave. Then, the second thing you want to show them after you go through that seminar is that bridge study that says, look, everything you learned in this health seminar was already known by God and shown by God. And then, at the end of that study of the Exodus, how many people, by the way, got out of the wilderness? Only two. Why? Because they hadn't really given their hearts to God. Only two of them were faithful. And that's why we go to Daniel 1 to show how to give your heart to God. Do you understand that? By the way, how long was it from Egypt to Canaan? They studied it out. You know how long it takes? About 10 days of walking. 10 days. And how many years were they out there? Yes. Let me just humbly say to you, that's the reason we're kind of here, still here doing GYC. We've been born in the wilderness. We're wandering around. Right? 10 days time. So isn't that neat? 10 days to get from there to get it. And then in Daniel chapter 1, how many days was it? Kind of works out nice, doesn't it? And the difference was what? Giving the heart. Stepping out in faith and be filling, being filled with God's grace. Now, we have about 10 minutes of time left to the end of this seminar. And I gave away time at the beginning. And I'm going to give away some time at the end. Because there is one section today you don't want to miss, which is the last hour of this seminar. And I've invited Rich and Susan Kallenberg to share with us. They uh, um, actually are my landlords. This is my attempt to make sure I don't kick, get kicked out of my house or evicted. No, no. They've become very close friends, and they have a, a testimony of what the Lord has done in their life. They're going to introduce that in the next 10 minutes, and I believe after that introduction, you'll want to come back for the next hour. Rich and Susan. Now, I, do you mind if I turn the lights down a little bit so we can see that better? <clears throat> If I hit the right one here, it's probably going to go all the way out, but that's okay. Is that okay? Um, okay. Death by choice. What, uh, what my wife and I are going to do today is present a little bit about addiction. The first slides that I'm going to show you are going to be very alarming, disturbing, but believe me, there's a reason for them. So trust me, okay? There's a reason for these, because you're going to say, well, boy, this is, I really don't want to look at this. But uh, you've heard of extreme makeovers, right? Well, this is what you call an extreme meth makeover. I don't know if any of you have ever seen these types of pictures before, but it happens when you use chemicals and, and, and administer them from the outside in. Okay? And I don't know the time frame, but I don't think it's very long, a couple years here for this poor young girl, methamphetamine addict, okay? And uh, 
once again, administering chemicals from the outside in does this. And, and we're going to explain what happens in the brain. We're going to explain what drives someone to destroy themselves. And Don talked about the dopamine and stuff like that. And what happens in the brain and how much dopamine you need to survive. Because uh, the dopamine is... is for all, the cornerstones of survival, we need this dopamine to uh, tell us to do certain things. It's how we survive. But when, it be, when we administer substances or be different behaviors, we become a slave, actually, to that feeling that we want. And any addiction, it, uh, it affects the dopamine system. Three and a half years later, is that incredible? what this drug does and the brain is actually telling itself to kill itself and we're going to talk about why it does that and we're going to talk about also about other addictions where the brain tells you to kill yourself similar to this believe it or not now this lady here this is when she first got arrested she got arrested every year for 10 years and it goes this way now notice and down and down here she's totally blind she has no teeth she's all done the devil got his way didn't he he cooked up this chemical so anyway it's very interesting and like I say this is what we're going to talk about but there's hope now I have some quotes here and, 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 and it's almost like she could look into the future. Some will be found whose minds have been so long debased that they will never in this life become what, under more favorable circumstances, they might have been. Plant in their minds uplifting, ennobling thoughts. Who's she talking to? Us, right? Let your life make it plain to them. See, when I got out of my addiction, I was addicted to this stuff. I could no longer read. But there was people's lives who I watched. Let your life make it plain to them the difference between vice and purity, between darkness and light. In your what? Example, let them read what it means to be a Christian. Is that interesting? Christ is able to uplift the most sinful and place them where they will be acknowledged as children of God, joint heirs with Christ to the immortal inheritance. Is that awesome? There's hope for everybody, right? I have one more picture here. This was in 1981 in Placer County. This is in 1993. That's 12 years of drug addiction. This is my wife. God is in the business of restoration. That's an extreme makeover, isn't it? So I'd like to introduce my wife here now. Susan. Susan will stand up and... and uh, the reason we wanted to show this beginning here was we wanted to get your attention. We wanted to let you know that God is in the business of restoration. And what we're going to go through is we're going to talk about how we came into the church and the little struggles that we had so you can understand how to work with people that have fried their brain. You know, and you can understand why someone you're working with will say, oh, now I know why he does that. Right now I know why I have to wait and slow down with him and whatnot. So it's very important uh, that we understand this because we've watched people come into our church and get chased away because of, uh, it, it's hard to deal with these types of people that come in and they fried their brain. But it is doable, right? Amen. It is doable. One other thing I've asked Rich and Susan to talk about is the leading causes of death for kids aged 15 to 19 is unintentional accidents, number two, 
what? Homicides, number three, suicides, which means they're getting involved in drugs. So I hope another thing that comes out here is the steps where people are so we can help them reverse, maybe never get into this, and also then help people that are starting to get into it, right? So I, I'm looking forward to the next hour. Okay, so I think we're, we're probably about out of time now. Yes. Okay, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are here with us. You give us so much confidence that we can rely on you and trust in you and have faith in you. So we ask, Lord, that you be with us in a continual basis here. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.